Hey, this is John from the Human Advancement Podcast and from Ruthless Performance. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary since I announced that I was going to be riding cross-country for Back in Black Dog Rescue and for Hillside SPCA on a bike. Now, since then, the event has come and gone. We started, I started the ride in late August of 2019 and ended it in early October. So it was about 43 days. So since that point, I haven't spoken all that much about the event itself. Uh, so today I have my girlfriend and a representative from Back in Black Dog Rescue, Angel Cicero, with us. She was integral in putting together a lot of the logistics for the finish line event and things like that. So she has a different perspective on it. And not only that, but she was able to get some questions from across the web as well from some of the people that have been following the event or sponsoring it and so on. So between her and some of the questions that she's gotten from the web, she's going to be here kind of talking us through the Ruthless Performance Ride America. All right. So before we start... Um, I just wanted to mention that I am a volunteer with Back and Black Dog Rescue, like you had said, and I just wanted to uh, let everybody know what, what Back and Black is. So we are a volunteer-run, foster-based rescue uh, in Schuylkill County, and what that means is we don't have a kennel like your typical SPCAs do. Uh, we only have dogs in foster homes, so um, like we... John and I are actually fosters. Sometimes we'll have a puppy in the house and we'll take it to the vet and help, you know, get its shots and everything until we find a family for it. Um, so it's a really awesome thing. We have foster homes in PA, of course, in West Virginia and Georgia, where most of our dogs actually come from, from these high kill shelters. Um, so this whole ride started because, John, you wanted to do something for Back and Black Dog Rescue and Hillside SPCA, right? Because that's where we have two dogs and Kronos is from Hillside and Naomi is from Back and Black. So if you want to talk a little bit about that's how you made your decision. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to keep a lot of this podcast so far has been pretty Schuylkill County and Pottsville centric. So not only did I want to support Back and Black Dog Rescue, but I also wanted to make sure that I supported Hillside SPCA as well there pretty big dog rescue in the area and they have a lot of animals coming through there so whereas back and black can manage just just a handful of dogs because back and black is limited by fosters mm -hmm. hillside spca is able to have a lot of dogs coming and going through there so i wanted on one hand to be able to give some of these fosters a good opportunity and, and provide some funds for them. But I also wanted to provide funds for Hillside SPCA so that a lot of dogs could be helped along the way as well. All right, so I kind of want to interview you more about the ride than I want to be interviewed myself. Of course, you know, ask me questions, but um, what was your thought process of coming up with riding a bicycle across the country to raise awareness and raise money for these two dog rescues why why a bike why not something else i think the bike thing actually came to be because your your brother's angel have been cyclists for a while and they they kind of tried getting me involved with a few different events so i did the um i did that tour to shore which mm -hmm. is now the ben franklin bridge to the shore uh, charity ride for 
um, Friends of the Fallen charity, I believe, yeah. which goes from Atlantic, from Philadelphia, from the Ben Franklin Bridge to Atlantic City. And the first time I did that, I had no experience whatsoever on a bike, and I had only just gotten the bike a week before the event even happened. And now that that's only sixty-five miles. Yeah, but it was right? yeah, it's sixty-five miles. But I thought, you know, if I could, it's a relatively comfortable means of transportation because you have room for lots of things on it. You're always on a road, so you're never really all that far away from people. So it's, though it was a solo pursuit, the infrastructure of the country kind of across the board was a, a good deciding factor. So yeah, it is all self-powered, but the fact that the majority of it was on paved roads was nice. There were a lot of gravel roads. Actually, I saw gravel roads all the way up until Pennsylvania. So that was a pretty consistent thing all the way through. Um, but bike made sense just because, you know, part of this project was planned by Ruthless Performance, my company, which is a human performance company, also runs and manages this podcast. But using the bike as a means of transportation just seemed like a good idea. So up until the point where you started this Ruthless Performance right across America, the farthest you've gone was on a bicycle was 65 miles. Is that is that correct? Or were you training going farther distances? Because, you know, I know a lot about this ride and I know a lot of the times you were doing close to 100 miles a day on this ride across America or sometimes even more than 100 miles. So what did you do to prepare other than doing this, you know, tour de shore ride or Ben Franklin to Atlantic City? So we're in May of 2020, but like I said, this is a year anniversary of when we announced. And right around when I announced is when I actually started my initial training for this. But even in the beginning, it wasn't very bicycle-centric. The majority of the training was pretty traditional, ruthless performance training, where it was pretty strength training dominant. And not only was strength strength training dominant, but the conditioning work I was doing was more likely to be on a Concept 2 rower than it was to be on a uh, on a bike itself. I didn't want to worry too much about the specificity of the bike because I knew I was going to be on it so much. So I wanted my cardiovascular system to be able to manage the demands of traveling cross country, but I didn't want to have myself set up for an overuse injury before the event even started. So as we got closer, the mileage picked up on the bikes, but even then the longest I rode was from our home in St. Clair to, um, yeah, to Whitehaven. That's right. That's pretty crazy. You're pretty tired after that one. So now that that made me kind of nervous when I had to pick you up in Whitehaven. And I know it was a really hot day that day that you did that, which was crazy. But I was nervous seeing how tired you were and knowing that you were going to be doing this ride across the continental U.S. completely solo, you know, no no support system Um so what did you think after you did that Whitehaven ride? What were, what were you thinking? It, I didn't think it had too much of a bearing on the event itself because the that ride was purposefully in a fasted glycogen depleted state. Mm-hmm. So up until that point, I did that whole ride without. Um, so you didn't I, eat anything that no, morning. Nothing. I had um, I had coffee. Why did you do that? Because going into this, I knew I wanted to make sure that I was able to burn fat as efficiently as possible. 
I knew during the ride itself, I wouldn't be relying on it all that much. But if going into the ride, I'm more capable of burning fat, I'll have an easier transition from burning sugar to burning fat and sugar concurrently. Okay. What was the major goal? So there was two, I didn't want to get overly, I didn't want to create overly complicated goals for the ride. I wanted to have two things. And so as long as those two things were accomplished, I would consider it a success because it's very easy to go down a rabbit hole and make things overly complicated. The only two things that I had in mind to make the event a success was to cross the finish line on October 5th, which was the day of the ride-in, because obviously it was important to be there for that because that was the day of a lot of, that was probably our biggest single fundraising day of the yeah. event yeah. was at the ride-in event. Um, but not only that, I also wanted to raise a totality of $10,000. Was there ever a point in your mind where you thought that it wasn't going to happen. You weren't going to raise the $10,000. And, you know, this $10,000 was going to be split between Hillside SPCA and Back and Black Dog Rescue to help them, you know, rehab homeless animals. Was there ever a fear that, oh, no, we might not hit that $10,000? Early on, I think it was. But fortunately, I was able to get some good media traction early on in the ride. So... Once that started happening and I, I saw that and I saw how the paper was following, the possible Republican was following and WNEP was following it, and WBRE was following it, and even the Hazleton newspaper was following it for that matter, I knew that mm-hmm. it, that we were going to have success. And we did. We, we had that day on October 5th, we were able to um, present a check for each organization for $5,500. And then even after the finish line event, you know, we had a couple more smaller events where we raised a couple more hundred dollars, which was amazing. So each each organization got at least six thousand dollars, which which was, you know, ex- exceeded your goal, which was amazing. Um, so let's go back to the ride. You know, let's start at day one. You you drove your car out to California. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a family member drive you to San Francisco, right, to the Golden Gate Bridge. Yep. And you actually had some people who live in California that you didn't even know came to, like, almost send you off and, you know, wish you good luck. What was that like, meeting complete strangers who somehow – you know, found out about this ride and were there waiting for you. I I really appreciated it. Unfortunately, in the moment, I wasn't able to spend as much time with these people or, yeah, or of course. be in the moment as much as I would have liked to because there was just so much variables going on in my mind. And, you know, just the act of kind of getting into San Francisco while I have this giant bike in tow and making sure we get to the right spot and that we get all of the right pictures and we get everything set up the way we needed it to for the launch was mm-hmm. pretty important. So until I was finally on the bike and riding and past San Francisco, there was just a lot of chaos going on. That was the first time I ever felt the bike under its full weight. Yeah. So what was it like going across that bridge? Because I know um, seeing videos from your uncle that there were a lot of other bicyclists going across the bridge with you as well because that's a high traffic bike area right yep so there was there was bicycle traffic uh going both ways on so there's like a 
next to the road area of the Golden Gate Bridge, there's a secondary bicycle lane, um, which has bicycle traffic going uh, both ways on the bridge, okay. northbound and southbound. And it's it's done, you know, almost like a sidewalk. So there's not a whole lot of not a whole not a whole lot of distance. So the problem that made was just kind of maneuvering that bike with that weight through some of those some of the more uh, close proximity areas uh, around some of the pillars on the bridge and things like that. Yeah. So it was just very much getting acclimated to the weight of the bike. Mm -hmm. And having to do it very quickly, it, it almost reminded me kind of like when we went to Ireland and I had to figure out how to. Um, oh, right on the opposite side of the road. Yeah, and yeah. And, and do it in Dublin, oh, like wow. where you're under like just this, you're you're in city traffic, but you're on. Yeah, navigate. you're not used to the city. You know, Sinclair is nothing like San Francisco, so yeah, that's crazy. Now, when you when you were on the bridge, was that did you have like that moment where it's like this is it? You know there's no looking back. I got to go. And next time I see someone is going to be Pottsville, Pennsylvania. What, you know, was that a thought in your mind or not in San Francisco? There was, I couldn't even think, or I, there was nothing cerebral going on while I was mm -hmm. in San Francisco because there's, there's still too much, there's too much people. San Francisco is so heavily populated, even with cyclists that there's points on the bike paths that are so heavily trafficked that you actually need to walk your bike because oh, wow. there's so many people. So I had to deal with that. And so just the logistics, making sure I was following the map correctly mm -hmm. and everything like this. So it's also the first time I was using the maps. It's not like you could do a, a dry run with the maps because they're very specific to just those areas. So the maps that you had going off of that, I didn't even think about that. They have, they have maps specific for bicyclists that are doing this ride across the continental U.S. Yep. Right. So for the, for the majority, that's why that's why I ultimately chose San Francisco as the starting point was because it was that the bridge itself was a the start point of a route known as the Western Express bike route. So mm -hmm. that was able to get me to Colorado, and then from Colorado I was able to get on the Trans America, which took me to Virginia, and then from there it was just some some state-sanctioned uh, bike routes from there. So the whole bike ride itself from San Francisco until the day you made it back to Pottsville, it was 43 days and you had no support. So that means the minute you left San Francisco, I know your uncle dropped you off, but from that point, you had no one. Yep. Was it lonely? No, um, there was, I mean, I suppose it was, but I, I managed pretty fine. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time in solitude anyway. Yeah. You're kind of a loner. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like I said, you're, you're on the road, you're on roads for the majority of it, even, mm -hmm. even roads that are sparsely traveled. So you're never really that far away from at least the remnants of human civilization. Yeah. Was there ever a point where you felt afraid? No, I I recognized the gravity of the situation a few times. Like in Utah, Utah really kicked my ass. There was a few times in Utah where I thought there was potential for me to really have a bad go of it medically, where I was getting really dehydrated. And um, it even came into my thoughts that if I were to pass out from black from dehydration, 
on the side of the road that I needed to make sure I, I angled the bike towards the road as opposed to the ravine next to the road. Now, I just want to tell everybody that this is the first time I'm hearing this, and I'm glad that this is the first time I'm hearing this, because if I would have heard this while he was doing this, I probably would have panicked. But That's why I didn't say anything. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so, what did you eat? Because now you're doing an average of how many miles a day? Average close to 100. Okay. There was higher days and there was lower days. So, yeah, but... there's some days where it was 90, some days where it was 110. So what were you eating to keep up all those calories that you were constantly burning because you were riding your bicycle for 10 hours a day? Yeah, anything and everything. Um, so I had not drank soda prior to that since like 2014 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I knew just for the sake of getting in those additional calories that I had to drink soda on the ride so that was it that was an easy way to get actually like an extra 12,000 calories a day wow. yeah. so like when I was eating when I was when I was fortunate and that I was able to eat at like a restaurant somewhere I made sure to get soda just so I could keep refilling it because yeah. it's just easy calories same thing with breakfast too I, I drink I tr traditionally drink black coffee but while I was on the ride I was putting a lot of cream in and a lot of sugar just to make sure that I just was extra calories yes yeah. But then uh, on the bike, I, I had uh, dehydrated like camping food with me that where you just add hot water. And I had a camp stove, so that I was able to I was able to boil water for the dehydrated food to just have have food in the tent or at the campsite when I was solo in the either in the desert or in the mountains. Where did you sleep? It depends. Uh, every every night was different. I don't know that there was really that many nights back to back that were the same thing. So it was some combination of um, just sleeping on the side of the road in a sleeping bag, some in a hammock, some in the tent. Um, I was for sometimes when I was coming through big cities, I would be lucky enough to be able to get a hotel room for the night, which was really helpful. One of the things that you have at your disposal if you are going to do a cross country cycling trip is the warm showers program which is ran by other touring cyclists that have have cycled in the past who now want to open their homes to other touring cyclists or long distance cyclists. So I was able to actually meet some very interesting, very neat families that way throughout the country and stay with them should they offer to share their home with me for the night, um, provide me with dinner, provide me with breakfast, all the while knowing you know the excessive calorie needs that I have and just making sure that I have enough food or making sure I have beer and so on. So these people were actually people who also done cross-country trips, right? Cross-country trips or just lengthy trips. I uh, stayed with someone in Kansas who they cycled across Missouri. Mm -hmm. um, I stayed with a few people who actually had never done long-distance cycling mm -hmm. but have just in the past offered touring cyclists that they saw coming through a place yeah. to stay and then either through the cyclists that have stayed with them or through, you know, neighbors, they found out about the warm showers program as just like a centralized way to get exposure to allow people to stay in their homes. I know some of them have even, you know, they've, they've texted you before you got there, you know, what do you want to eat? What do you like to eat? And then they'd have this big meal, which is amazing. And some of them have even gotten up in the morning with you and then rode on their bikes 
to like send you off again? Was that how, how did that feel? That was that was pretty awesome. Uh, the first time that happened was actually, um, I think the first time that happened might have been day two, where so from day one I make it from San Francisco to Sacramento, I believe. But in Sacramento, that's where I had I stayed at a warm shower that night, and those uh, people actually they rode with me on the bike trail. Um, a good a good ways right along the American River. Yeah, that's really awesome. And there were some other times that you've had some not not necessarily with the warm showers program, but just some other you know people that you've run into on the road that were you know very helpful and just showed you a lot of kindness. Um, one I can remember was the lady you know the story that you said that the lady gave you apples. Yep. Will you tell us that story? Yeah, I was just in, I believe it was Kansas, somewhere in Kansas, and I was just on the side of the road, kind of just looking at my maps, and a lady, it was driving past, and it stopped, and just, obviously, you know what someone's doing if they're looking at maps, so she asked, you know, where I needed to get to, and then, and then she had said that her house was, actually, before even that point, she had just given me an apple that she had in her car with her, and then she said if I wanted more, that I could uh, cycle up the road t- to her house, which was in the direction I was going, actually. Yeah. And then she had um, some apples out for me, so I was able to – she gave me some apples. Actually, and some turkey jerky as well, and um, I was able to meet her dog. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I had a couple of really neat experiences like that. Yeah, so much kindness, never really any – negative experiences really you know uh, you always hear about all the the bad things that go on but through this experience you know we saw from your stories how much good there is in the country and the other one that really sticks out is that restaurant that was at the top of the I, i can't think of the name oh yeah ham's station yeah that so you were you were coming up there. You ran out of water, right? Yeah. You were just looking for water. Actually, I to even proceed that point, it, I actually had that was a pretty neat day because there was a segment of the of the road um, that so I was approaching. I was on the route as it was listed, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden on the route as it was listed, I on the road itself there was a sign that said you know you need to turn here there's like Like a detour yes because uh like i don't know 10 or 15 miles ahead on that same road there was the road was out completely and this was the last turn that you could take before uh you weren't able to make any more turns but i just kind of chanced it and went the same way i was going to go i figured it was just closed for cars mm-hmm. and not necessarily closed for cyclists or walkers or anything like that so i i took the gamble and i went uh, i kept continuing on this road as it was and then i got to the point where the road was shut down and the reason it was shut down was because they had actually laid fresh uh, fresh pavement on the road mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, the road as it was sitting, so this is in the, this is in the Sierras. So this is well in the mountains. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, the one half of the road, so the one, basically it split at the yellow. Mm -hmm. Half of the road sank about four or five inches from the other side. So obviously it wasn't, it wasn't safe for for vehicular travel. 
but it was neat because even though one half of the road was sank, it was freshly paved. So I had this freshly paved road going through the Sierras for no traffic for probably 10 miles. Um, so that was neat. I was able to kind of do that. And then that was the same day, a little later on that evening, I went to that ham station yeah. to look for, um, just to look for basically to try to get dinner because it was in the middle of nowhere. You're basically in the forest with just a road traveling through it. Um, and at that point, the place had just closed down for the night. But the workers that were still in there, they were super nice, super helpful. Yeah, they saw you come up to the door. And yeah. They came out to see if you needed something. Yep, exactly. So they were able to... Um, they, they gave me a, a lot of water and they actually gave me a bunch of power bars that they had there. They, they were actually super helpful. And that was, a, awesome. that was right off the bat. That was probably on day three or day four of the trip when, when that was the case. And, and even then they, a lot of the social media traction we got early on was because of, of those people kind of posting about, yeah. um, the ride. Yeah. They, they had had something on their page. Um, and we had a, a GoFundMe that I was monitoring that people could donate to just as a means of it being, you know, easy access for people on the internet. And that ham station had actually sent in a donation to support your ride after, you know, they met you and you told them what you were doing. And I think that's just unbelievable. It's so awesome. Um, so... Going back to something you said a little bit earlier with your bike, I felt your bike the day you were packing up to leave and I could hardly move it. How much do you think your bicycle weighed? Between me and the bike and the equipment on the bike, it was over 300 pounds. Yeah, that's crazy. What, what did you have with you on the bike? Uh, sleeping bag, tent hammock i had a lot of water i had room for almost 300 ounces of water on the bike just between the different compartments uh food a lot of food and then just miscellaneous supplies like a water purifier mm -hmm. extra clothing um the, i only had a few outfits that i could kind of go between but in the most i had was just like a hoodie and sweatpants just for for some cold nights um, and in the front, actually on the handlebars, I actually had a, a specialized map holder that also had like a little gear compartment that's easily accessible in the front. And then on top of that, I also had a, I had a phone holder that sat right on the handlebar. So I was able to use that as well. So actually those Sacramento people actually showed me about GPX data and using, uh, downloaded maps to kind of help my help me navigate myself through the country yeah. beyond just the bike maps because if you if you if you digress it all from the actual path that the map has listed obviously it's not going to course correct because it's just a printed map but with the gpx data you could you could figure out what you need to do to get back on track mm -hmm. so i was able to have that on the handlebar so that was nice um not not too much stuff i didn't use actually i was afraid that i was going to have something that wasn't going to be useful but most, almost everything ended up coming in handy at some point or another. The few things that I could get rid of just to get rid of weight, I did. Like I had a bike lock and the bike lock actually came with a, the bike lock came with a, an attachment that attached the bike lock to the frame. And I got rid of that because I could just 
wrap the bike lock around the frame and get rid of the, the holder. So that was a few ounces right there. And I did a lot of things like that whenever I could just to get rid of extra weight. Now, did you ever come across uh, like problems with your bike? Any bike trouble? I, I did have some trouble. Uh, part of it was just because of how much down pressure, downwards pressure I was putting on the pedals, it, it put a lot of strain on the chain. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know some of the technical things, but actually one of the cables had, I don't know, I guess it almost had stretched out. So ultimately I had to, I figured out what the issue was and was able to, to, to fix it. But what happened was when I would push down too hard on the pedal, the bike would actually uh, upshift, so it it made it really a pain to go up hills because when I would push on the pedals, it would change gear mid every every mid, mid pedal. So that was a big pain that I had to kind of figure out. But for the most part, no, not too many issues. So I, you fixed that yourself, or did you have to go find I, a bike shop? I went to some bike shops, and they actually had some different suggestions, but they ultimately didn't figure out what the cause was mm -hmm. and they but it's it's not necessarily their fault because it was only something that you could see when you're putting a lot of pressure on the pedal itself mm -hmm. so they had just suggested oiling the chain things like that and which mm -hmm. i did as well and i tried to keep as, as good a care of the chain as i could but it was not an issue of the of that it was just an issue of things kind of getting st stretched under the pressure but now the bike just works as good as ever when i do take it out yeah now, we also got some questions from some of um, your supporters. So I'm just going to go down the list of those. Now, knowing knowing what you went through, is there anything you would do differently? Like, is there a different route you would take? And you already kind of said, you know, was there that you wouldn't take less of something, but is there something you would have added to oh, take? Oh, no, I would. To do, to do it again, no, the whole knowing what I know now qualifier yeah i would do it very differently i'm glad i did it the way i did it the first time going through i had all of this equipment and it kind of gave me a little bit more more of a, a general sense of comfort yeah but were i to do it again i think i could actually do it in half the time if i just got rid of the majority of the things that i had just got down because to the, of the weight yes just got, make you faster without all the weight yeah. yeah so if i got rid of the steel frame bike and went down to either like an aluminum frame or a carbon fiber mm -hmm. and used that and just had very minimal supplies, I would be able to cover a lot more ground in a lot shorter of time period. Now, originally with with your plan, it was planned for 43 days with five or six rest days, but you never got the rest days because of how difficult it ended up being. Do you think that's because of the weight? The weight definitely didn't help, but it also made the rest days a little bit, it made the days more manageable. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's two-sided. I would say that that might be the case. Yeah. But if I didn't have some of that stuff, it, it might be a different story. Like I said, now I have a little bit. I'm a little bit more skilled in the right. whole biking yeah. thing, so it might be okay. But that might have been one of the things. But ultimately, the whole thing was just that I was going too slow. And the first couple of days, I was not waking up as early as I needed to. I was still sleeping in until probably, you know, eight and. And it was like nine or ten before I was on the road after having breakfast. Yeah. So there's three or four hours of daylight I should have been using that I was otherwise just using to eat. So you had zero rest days, or did you take any rest days? I can't remember. I had 
no complete rest days, but I did have one day, I think near Illinois, that was maybe a 30-mile day. Okay. So for some people, a 30-mile day mm -hmm. is hard on a bicycle. Yep. I could not imagine going 30 miles. Mm -hmm. So 30 miles for you, that was your rest day. Yeah. And <laughs> That's pretty crazy. And that was also, partially, that was also a hangover day. I had stayed at uh, a fraternal order of the Eagles Lodge in, oh um, I think it was Chester, Illinois. Whatever, wherever it was, it was also the town that the character Popeye was from. Oh. I just a, a weird mental note yeah. I made, but so the this fraternal order of the Eagles had a they called it a bike hostel, which is basically just a um, a room they had built for. Pass, cyclists that were passing through to stay mm -hmm. and again this was on the transamerica route so it's not it's not as though it's a weird thing or like something around here if they were to have something as obscure as that it was it was next to a bike route just like you would see um you know a, a hiking hostel next to the appalachian trail or something okay, like that yeah. but obviously they also had a bar so i i had went there for dinner and then i ended up staying there and um staying there pretty late and then that is one of the reasons that i only did 30 miles the next day oh, wow. so i don't even know if that's a recovery day that's more of just a, a hangover dealing with day yeah. yeah uh next question from a supporter is what lessons did you learn uh, i know what i learned off of this and I, I know we already touched on it that there's so much kindness yeah. in the world. I think that's the craziest thing out of this, you know, staying at that you know, that place that you just mentioned. I know you stayed at a church hall. Um, the priest took you out for dinner. You stayed at with a family who owned a winery and they were so kind to you and all these people making you dinners and people giving you things. Some lady gave you ice cream. The lady gave you apples. Like, it just blows my mind how how many good people there are in the world and how much negativity there is in the media. You know, that's what feeds people. And it's not like that. Like, yes, there's bad things. Of course, there's there's always going to be bad things, but 99% of them are good. Yeah. And the, one of the things I say frequently, whether it's about the right or not, is the reason the news is the news is because it's not happening all the time. It's events yeah. that aren't the standard occurrence yeah that's true very true and i think you see the same thing on social media with a general inclination towards negativity yeah. but in the case of the actual world more people the average is is much nicer than than what we're led to believe through either socials or through the news yeah so is that is that the lesson you learned or is there some other lesson that you learned about well one of my operating principles has always been the idea, the notion that to operate under the assumption that everything will work out because it usually does. But that just really reinforced it. You know, were there issues along the way? Sure. But what you do is you just address each additional issue as it arises. Now, is that kind of like confidence and you have a lot of confidence in yourself or you have a lot of confidence in the world or... I, I'm sure it's probably both, but it's also just the whole, the notion of stoicism. I mean... There's things that can be controlled and there's things that can't be controlled and that which you can't control shouldn't be 
you shouldn't worry about it. It gave you this idea of like you suffer twice. So yeah, like anxiety. Yeah. So yeah. if you're worried about it, you're suffering then, and then when the actual event itself occurs, you're suffering as well. Yeah. So I'm just not going to. I'm not even going to put something in my mind when it's out of my sphere of influence. Yeah. So that was kind of the next question was, you know, what was your mental ability? Which that's that's it. I mean, you had everything clear in your mind that this is what it was going to be, and you were going to do it no matter what. From day one, from the moment you mentioned it to me, you said to me, what do you think about me riding my bike across the country? And I remember it. And I just said, whatever, John, you do whatever, because whatever you want to do, you're going to do it. So if that's what you want to do, go ahead. You do it. Um, Because whatever you put into your mind, and I think that's what's so unique about you, is whatever you put into your mind, if you want to do it, you're going to do it. Well, it shouldn't just be unique to me. I think the problem is just that people get so – people can't focus enough on one or two central ideas. It's always confounded by something else or there's always something else. You know, the more the more filters you try to apply to something, the more muddied it's going to get. Mm-hmm. So to just have – to have one goal, which is – monitored in two ways through being able to raise that money and being able to cross the finish line on that date. And those are the only two things that I'm worried about for six months that, you know, that's, that's just power right there. I mean, that's just the idea of just focusing on one thing is how things get done. And that's what people need to do. Yeah. So to play off your mental ability, you know, what, what was your physical ability? So why do you think you are physically able to do this versus like me, there's no way, there's no way that I would ever do this. I mean, maybe if I train for it, but I'm not going to, it's not something I want to do. But why do you think you of all people were physically able to get this done in well, because 43 I, days? I'm so, I'm, well, that's, that's a, that's a big thing right there. I think a lot of people can do this. And if you look at the people that do do this, a lot of the time it's retirees and things like that, mm-hmm. but they're doing it over the course of half of a year instead of over the course of 40 days. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an issue. But maybe, you know, that's that's part of it. That's um, that's the journey is exploring and, you know, going to all these different places in America and just checking everything out. So yours was goal-oriented. You know, you had to get back for the finish line event because you were raising awareness and money for something. But for somebody who is not, who, who doesn't have that kind of goal and the, the goal is just to make it, you know, the 43 days probably don't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't think it should matter for most people. I don't think it's something that necessarily needs to be pursued like I did. Mm-hmm. I think if you if you have the time and you could, you want if you have, if you could take two months off and you could cycle, if you have two months, if you can make two months available in your schedule, you could do that. Yeah, that I believe that completely, regardless of your physical skill. Okay, the so only- you don't have to be because you you know you're obviously an athletic trainer and you're very fit and you don't think you need to be. I don't like you not for the time frame. Absolutely. But I think there's too many things, even with that, I I think you could be more in shape than me, but to have less organizational skills, there's there. I think usually my notion is if I could do something, most people can, but I think in this particular instance, I had the right set of variables lined up, including organizational skills. I had the strength. So part of it too was, the, so 
So I don't train much like an endurance athlete, just being so strong from training like a powerlifter the majority of the time. You know, I'm even before I was doing this, I was training. It just right. wasn't with this with the goal in mind. Yeah. So the value of that is that as just my as my strength is so high, mm-hmm. each additional time I place any kind of force onto the pedal, it's submaximal. So me pushing very hard into the pedal and getting more distance is a lot easier than someone else. So just by being strong, yeah. it takes off a lot of the cardiovascular demands. And mm-hmm. not to mention how rapidly you could invoke um, improvements to the cardiovascular and cardiorespiratory system. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that just came on the ride itself. But just by having that foundation of strength, that helped. And the other thing too is, you know, though this is the first time I cycled across the country, I've road tripped I've done cross-country road trips probably half right, a dozen to car. a dozen times. Yeah. yeah. So uh, at least from the general perspective of navigation across the country, yeah. that's something I had very well rooted in my being. That's true. I didn't think about that at all. You know, you're able to go across the country in your car by yourself, you know, and be independent that way and just navigating on unknown terrain. So that probably gave you an advantage for sure. Yeah. Um, the next question from one of your supporters is... What surprised you about the trip or about yourself? Um, That's a tough question. It was pretty neat. The whole thing was a learning experience. I mean, there's no, there's no way around that. I mean, I, I, I don't think that I'm even the same person that I was before that. I mean, I hope everyone could say that the same thing about themselves for any one month to the next, and hopefully everyone's improving yeah. very regularly. But I don't. I think that the entirety of it was a learning experience from beginning to end. I think one thing that surprised me was the vision that I had in my head before it all started mm-hmm. um, regarding the finish line event, how close to reality it was, how, how close it was actualized. Um, what do you mean? on the write-in date. So what I had envisioned when I was coming, when, when I was putting this whole project together, uh-huh. the actual physical, the, the actual mental imagery that I had in place was very close to how things actually shaped up, yeah. which was, which was nice for me because it was, it, it just kind of reinforced that, you know, it's very plausible to take something from vision to reality yes yeah yeah absolutely and that was it wasn't an easy feat obviously on your behalf to do that and then on my end I was the one you know here at home coordinating the finish line event and this Mm -hmm. giant Chinese auction that we had and for me at times it almost felt like I wasn't going to get it done I wasn't going to get it done but it was unbelievable the amount of support that we had, um, the amount of donations that were given to us through so many people, so many local businesses, people I, I didn't even know, um, you know, friends, coworkers, family, strangers. And just to see it all that night that we went there and set it up, to see it sitting there was like we we did it you know we finally did it and by that point you were just traveling into pine grove which was how only how many miles from Pottsville? 25 yeah only 25 miles so to to know that you were in pine grove and you were safe 
and that next morning you were going to do that 25, 30 miles into Pottsville, it was like a huge weight lifted off of my shoulders and I'm sure probably your shoulders too, just to know that it it was happening. I mean, it was, it was real. It was amazing. Um, but we'll touch on that a little more then. Next question from your supporter. And it's, I guess it is a question um, from our new friend, Sally. She asked that, will you both come back to California to visit so you can see the Golden Gate Bridge on a sunny day? So Sally was um, a person that we had met through through this ride that was a stranger and now has become a friend. Um, she was the one of the people who waited at the Golden Gate Golden Gate Bridge because she lives in California um, to meet John and send him off. And she actually mailed me a um, Chinese auction prize that was amazing and got so many um, tickets sold for it. So she was a huge, huge supporter of this. Um, so yeah, will you be going back to yeah, so California first, anytime soon? Sure, I, I look forward to it. I, I enjoy, so I don't spend much time in the San Francisco area, but a little further south is, is always fun. I'm, I'm pretty frequently in like San Luis Obispo, yeah, San Maria. Because you have family there. Yeah. So. But I, I could see that. And even, even further north in California, something I'd like to explore a little more. You know, we were there previously on a trip where we yeah. actually came down the whole, um, the Pacific Coastal Highway all the right. way from, from Washington. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it is an area well worth spending some more time in. I would like to see some of the Napa and Sonoma wineries in a little bit better detail. Yeah. And I'm sure Sally knows them all. So, um, Sally, we'll see you soon. And, um, I want to go to that winery where you sent the, the basket from, because that looked amazing. It was a winery that, uh, supports dog rescues. So, I mean, it was absolutely perfect. Um. And Sally said that you are welcomed at her house anytime. So, yes, we'll get out to California soon. Um, so, back to my questions. If there was anything you could tell somebody who was thinking about doing this ride, because I've had people approach us about it before, what would you want to tell them? Um, just commit. Just commit. Just Absolutely commit. If you, like I said, if you can get two months off, that's all you need. That's all you need to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Give yourself at least a few months notice for planning. But if you were, especially, you know, to do the route I did, there's a relatively small window. It needs to be late spring, summer, or very early fall because some of the high passes get snowed off. You know, when I was doing this, even kind of coming through in September, I was probably one of the last uh, eastbound people to do this just because it was beginning to get to that time of year when everything was getting snow covered. Uh -huh. uh, so I would say just commit and just, just do it. I think more people have done it than you realize. It's an interesting thing in that, you know, I, I did this and for me it was just more of the time challenge was, was kind of what I was going for. But, you know, a lot of people have done this. Um, most people, I think, are, are less than three degrees of separation away from someone who has done more than a thousand mile ride. It's very doable. There's a very good network of people out there. I would look into that warm showers program, um, but otherwise it's, it's very doable and it's, it is a very inexpensive way to see the, the, plant, the country from a very uh, qualitative perspective because you're not, you're not in a little climate controlled steel box yeah. you're 
it's just you and your and the immediacy of your environment yeah. and it's it's a very very intimate way to see the country how many miles was it for about four thousand. Oh my god did you ever just thinking about what you were saying did you ever come across um like severe weather uh nothing too crazy uh there was a few rainstorms but i had rain gear and most of my stuff packed away pretty yeah. nicely so it wouldn't get too wet um you rain the hot weather was the biggest thing i would say from um a weather perspective that was a challenge and the sun yes so for most people um hearing this john still has a tan line on his legs from what, what day did you start the, the ride? So that was August. August. So, so yeah. yeah. So a year, almost a year later, and you still have the tan line on your legs from your bike shorts. Yes, I Which do. is crazy. And that was just from Utah, just from the, the extreme heat of, of the sun. Yeah, and you had a lot of sunburn too. Yeah. Yeah. So that was probably your biggest challenge was the sun. The I, rain... You could handle not just the sun, but the heat, the heat. that it, it, it invoked as well. And needing water. Yeah, water yeah. was a challenge. Water was definitely a challenge through the desert, but I think that was that was what also made that one of the coolest parts of the whole thing. Yeah. So, my last and final question here is: What were your thoughts when you were pulling up to the finish line event, and now? Start start at Pine Grove. Uh -huh. So you had it all planned that the day before the ride in the finish line event, which was October fifth, on you would stay in Pine Grove, and then that morning you would ride into Pottsville and complete the ride. So start there and tell us a little about that. Well, I'll back it up even further. So one of the things that was nice it was almost like a checkpoint kind of coming back across the country is just coming back into areas that were familiar yeah so the there was a couple times that that happened uh, one of the first times was when i made it to carson city for the first time because that was that was somewhere that we've been in the past mm -hmm. um and then even the loneliest road that uh highway 50 route 50 going across nevada yeah that was cool, but it was also somewhat familiar. Some some markers alongside of it um, kind of made me feel a little bit more comfortable just knowing that I've seen them before. It's something I've seen and something I'll hopefully see again. Uh -huh. um, and then I had the same experience in Cedar City, Utah, which is somewhere I spend some time just because of its proximity to a highway that, that I travel with some regularity. Um, so that was neat. And then you know, I had a couple times like that, but when I thought I was home was actually in Southern Virginia when I made it to 81 for the first time, Interstate wow. 81. Yeah. So I was, because that's something I travel probably, you know, extensively, probably five or six times a year. I, I'm at least that far south on Interstate 81. Right. So then I started being able to kind of go to restaurants that I've gone to in the past. And mm -hmm. I knew where some coffee shops were that I've liked in the past. So I was back being on familiar territory. And when you got there in, um, on 81, you stayed with our friend, our friends, Siobhan and Tim. Uh, in West Virginia, so I'm sure that was comforting as well to you know see a familiar face and yep. uh, almost feel like home. 
Yeah, exactly. So that was another cool thing. I, though I did meet, like I said, I met other cool people, even besides the warm showers program, I just by happenstance, whatever, mm -hmm. I just camped next to some cool people and actually made a lot of friends out of it that I still stay in touch with to yeah. this day. But yeah, then I, you know, coming into Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania was actually interesting in that some of the aspects of Pennsylvania that I was traversing were very foreign to me. Um, some of the areas near York, I had not spent a lot of time down in that area. Um, but otherwise, it, it was a little different. I mean, even like I said, even coming into Pennsylvania, so shortly after I crossed the border between Maryland and Pennsylvania, I had to be on a, I was on a dirt road at that point. Like I thought all these things I had left behind me in Kansas. Yeah. But even in Pennsylvania, there's still some dirt roads that I, I've never seen before and that I had to take. So there was still a very foreign element, even as I was coming into Pennsylvania um, and seeing some new aspects of Pennsylvania. Um, and then I was able to stay with another friend in Harrisburg, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. another marker of home. And then the following night, Pine Grove. Mm -hmm. And Pine Grove, the only reason we did that was just for basically consistency of the, the narrative. Because right. at that point, it would have been very easy for me to just get a ride to to our house, stay at the house, and then return back to the same spot to start to finish the ride the following day. But just for the sake of kind of being there and having a central location and and making sure that everything was, was honest and forthright, I stayed in Pine Grove. Um, which one of our friends uh, graciously donated a room, which was very nice, very yeah. kind. So I had stayed there. Um, and then the next day people started showing up actually. So that's when people either from the bike team, from the Jim Thorpe's bike team, or, or just some other friends, mm -hmm. like the people from lead your canine, they, they cycled in with us. And that's now, when the reporter showed up. Pause here a second, because the night before, when you made it to Pine Grove was the first time that I saw you in 50, I know the bike ride was only 43 days, but it, mm -hmm. it took you several days to get out to California. That was the first time we saw each other in, I don't know, 52 days. Yeah, and even pausing there, so so it was a 43-day ride, but yeah, it was the, the totality of time from being in at home to being at home was 49 days. Mm -hmm. um, in those seven days, one of the things that, even though it wasn't part of the ride itself, I went out, I was in Flagstaff doing a little bit of elevation training before the ride even happened, mm -hmm. just to get used to what I was gonna be seeing in the Sierras and the Rockies. Mm -hmm. So at Flagstaff, I was able to do um, just a 20 some mile ride the, on the Monday before the ride started. And that follow the Tuesday after that Monday, while I was still in Flagstaff, I actually climbed to Humphreys Peak, which is the highest point in um, Arizona. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so before the ride even started, I was, I was, it was definitely still an adventure. Yeah. So you made it to Pine Grove. Mm -hmm. uh, my brother and I went out and we got you some clean clothes because your clothes were really dirty. Yes. Brought you clothes. Um, and we took some of your stuff so you didn't have to carry everything and um, back to Pottsville so, because there was going to be nowhere to hold it. So we took some stuff for you. Mm -hmm. And then the next morning, we had my brothers had organized a few people to do a ride in with you. So how many people showed up in Pine Grove to ride their bicycles with you? I, I think it was probably somewhere around maybe 15, 15 to 20 people. Mm -hmm. um, they were all, it was a, it was a cool group of people. And, yeah. Who was there? Um, I, I, I'm unsure. I don't, I don't know most of the people actually. 
Yeah, so that was pretty crazy. Some some strangers came that were friends of friends. Yeah. Um, you know, the Leader Canine crew came. My brothers came. Uh, one of my cousins from Philly came to ride, which was really cool. Mitch from Fluid Fitness. Mitch came. Um, so you guys, the group of you, rode in to what point, and then you met a group of motorcyclists, right? Yeah, so it was pretty neat. So before that, well, before that even happened, um, they were actually, we had planned to meet these different factions at different times. So we were going to do a ride-in from one point with some um, Harley riders. We were also going to have um, a fire truck escort from a few different factions of the local fire departments. So mm -hmm. there was the Harley riders, which was organized, I think, by Schaefer's Harley-Davidson. Yeah. Um, as well as the fire trucks from a few different local branches. But one of the things that actually we, were, we kept getting calls because we were falling behind on our timeline because me and the other cyclists, we actually stopped at a, we stopped at a winery um, and we actually on the bike ride back, we were, we had a few bottles of wine. Yeah. Um, which you brought me one back, which I was very thankful for on the bicycle. Yep. So I'm glad you had room for that. Um, but yeah, at that point, the fire truck, um, the person leading them called me and said, are we on the right road? Because they're not here yet. They're supposed to be here. Little did I know they were stopped at the winery for wine tasting, which I think made the experience experience that much better because that's something that, you know, all that group of you guys, you know, that was something really enjoyable and really awesome. And um, you also had someone from the newspaper in a car riding alongside and I remember they said at one point they were riding um you were on this back road where there were some farms and there was horses in the field and when you guys were riding your bicycles along the road the horses were coming to the fence and they were just galloping alongside of you guys and you didn't even realize it that it was happening, but the people in the car, they could see this all happening. And they said it was the most beautiful thing they've ever seen um, to see these horses galloping alongside of you. Um, so that was pretty cool to hear. But what was it like? Finally, you get to, you know, you, you find the motorcyclists, you find the fire trucks, and you're coming into Pottsville. What was that like? Wow. Um, it, it was just, I, I was just it was just nothing but gratitude i was just happy that we made it to that point not necessarily happy that it was over but happy that everything was coming to completion in the terms in which i was hoping that they would were you surprised at to see you know what you did when you showed up at the humane in Pottsville? i i don't think so but it was just because we had it so well planned so i don't think it was much of a surprise but not because i was underwhelmed but because i I knew that it was going to be a, a very big a event. Success. Yeah. Yeah. Which it was. And it was amazing. And, you know, being, being someone from this dog rescue, from Back in Black Dog Rescue, you know, we were so very grateful that you had this idea and um, you came through, you know, 110% with this crazy, which I thought was a crazy idea, crazy idea. Uh, which forced me to get involved um, and then also, you know, getting Hillside involved and making some friends through that. I, I'm so very grateful that 
you did this and um, yeah I just want to say thank you because I don't know if I've ever said thank you to you because I think most times I said my god what are you doing to me because I'm here at home worrying about you you know at least we did get to talk I think we talked every single day on the phone besides one day there's a, yeah there's a couple days just where the service wasn't great yeah so that that kind of made me panic um, but knowing knowing you and uh, knowing your crazy ideas I know that this isn't it I know that there's something else you know you're gonna come up with and you're gonna say hey what do you think about this and it's always gonna be for me whatever you know um, whatever because if you want to do it you're gonna do it it doesn't matter what I think because when you told me about this bike ride I thought that's the craziest thing and, and it would be selfish of me to say you know don't do that that's that's scary and you know what if you get hit by a car or whatever you know what if what if you get attacked by an animal which seems crazy and it is crazy to yeah. think like that and it'd be selfish selfish of me to say don't go do that um do you have something planned there's i have a few <laughs> things there's a few ideas i don't think i want to know so we'll uh we'll, we'll hold off we'll hold off until things are in stone but I, I anything from here on out is not going to be 43 days i just that was one of the reasons that this whole thing happened was because i just knew as i got older and as i got more and more ingrained either in you know, just in the community with some of the things that I do politically or just with the business or yeah. whatever the case might be that I knew, you know, the older I got, the harder it was going to be to pull that much time away from my otherwise very busy life. Right. So I knew I just had to pump the brakes while I could and get that event in there. Yeah. Anything moving forward, though, I don't think is going to be more than more than 10 days. Yeah. What was it like? I, I said that would be my last question, but I have another question. Now, you were gone for from your dogs for 50 days. What was it like finally getting to our home and seeing Kronos and Naomi? And I know, I know Kronos is a little even more attached to you than Naomi. So what was that like? That was pretty nice. I was, um, it was rewarding. It was almost worth being away from them for that long, just to kind of have, have yeah. that, that, that welcome home from them. Yeah. Distance makes the heart grow fonder, even that it in does. dogs. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I think is, you know, it seems like it's a crazy thing, but if you just look at the numbers and, you know, people have done that before. And I think that's the case with anything. Yeah. I think anytime you, you want to disqualify yourself from something, like saying either I'm too old or I don't have enough time or whatever the case might be. There's always someone that was even older or even had less time at their disposal to do anything that you're going to do. So anytime, anytime you disqualify yourself from doing something, it's just because of your own. It's just you just resigning to the universe, your ability to do something. Yeah. The, if there's anything to learn through this pandemic is... If there's something you want to want to do, do it, because you might not have the opportunity to do it again. So go for it. I agree with that. All right, that is the Human Advancement Podcast. You can find more about the Human Advancement Podcast and Ruthless Performance on ruthlessperformance.com.
I specifically recommend that you head to our online education tab where you can learn more about self-improvement, the physiology of performance, practices for enhanced wellness, and more. You can view all podcast episodes directly on our website at podcast.ruthlessperformance.com. I also recommend that you follow us on both Instagram and Twitter with the handle at ruthlessperform. If you have any questions for our monthly Q&A or wanted to learn more about training with Ruthless Performance, including information on our athlete development training, injury prevention and corrective exercise protocols, personal training, or for consults or assessments, you can get in touch with us online at ruthlessperformance.com contact or via email at info at ruthlessperformance.com. The Human Advancement theme was written by Bernie Wallace-Savage.